All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the host, guest, and its callers. You have just stepped into a crust-free zone with Dr. Pat Basile. What is crust? Well, crust is that stuff that stands between you and what you want out of life. Crust is what keeps you stuck. Crust is anything you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living your deepest heart's desire. So get ready to do some serious crust busting with Dr. Pat Basile and break through those layers of crusty conditioning to reveal the unlimited possibilities available to you to live your life full out. Dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. What a fabulous show we have for you today. You've heard me talk about this in previous shows, the excitement around my guest today. This is an amazing show with an amazing individual. I'm here with Dr. Stephen Covey, and most of you are familiar with his work, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, let me just say a few things about Dr. Covey, and, and so you get a sense of the absolute magnificence in who he is, what he stands for, and who his work and what his work is about. Dr. Covey is an internationally respected leadership authority. He is a family expert, a teacher, and a consultant. And what I know about Dr. Covey from meeting him years and years and years ago, of course, I'm sure he doesn't remember that, is that his book personally changed my life. And the latest book that we're here to talk about, The Eighth Habit, From Effectiveness to Greatness, has become a blueprint for many people, including me, this this radio show host, for living full out and being all that I can be in the greatness of myself and of life. Dr. Covey, thank you so much for joining the show today. Oh, I'm honored to do it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You know, there's a question that I ask each and every one of my guests, and it came from one of my listeners, actually, uh, basically wanting to know how come I'm so happy all the time and, you know, uh, just absolutely bubbly and wanted to know if I have had any difficulties. And so the question that came up was this. What are some of the obstacles, obstacles that you have had to overcome, challenges that you have had, to overcome, to bring you to this very moment? Uh, Well, one of them, I think, that changed my life significantly was um, I had bone deterioration in both my legs when I was growing up, so I had to go on crutches for several years, and I used to love athletics, so it switched me from athletics to academics, and that was a very significant kind of life-changing Experience for which I'm grateful for now. Mm. But at the time, I wondered. <laughs> <laughs> how did that? How were you able to shift your perspective on that? Well, it's probably because uh, I got me into becoming a student. So I focused on really learning, and that turned me on itself. And I missed the athletic part, but. I was grateful. I even have a grandson today that's having the same problem. We even wonder if it's not a genetic thing. Mm. Well, you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, how we we come up against the wall, you know, our greatest challenges, our greatest fears, the things that would hold some people back. But some of us push through those fears, those challenges, those walls, and others don't. And there's something that you, I want to read a quote from the book, and the book uh, that I'm referring to is The Eighth Habit, for those of you that are just tuning in. My special guest today is Dr. Stephen Covey. And this is a, this is a, a quote from Bucky Fuller, 
It says all children are born geniuses. 9,999 out of every 10,000 are swiftly, inadvertently, degeniusized by grown-ups. That is such a powerful... I call that degeniusizing crust in the crust-busting world of what I do. (laughs) How, then, is it that we can tap into the most important gifts we have and bring them out into the world? Well, I think that we have to combine four things. We have to find out what we really love doing, then what we are good at doing, and then what we have a sense of calling about so that you have a conscience direction there and that serves a human need. Those four things, if they can overlap, you can literally tap into a spirit of real, what's called in sport zone, mm-hmm. or called be called flow, and you just are completely a different kind of person. It's like you say that you're full of enthusiasm and fire all the time. Probably you have overlapped those four things, see, your talent, your uh, passion, that which serves a need, and your sense of calling. Well, what happens when we run up against a situation where we're not able to tap into all of those things? Well, I think that you have to be patient. It doesn't happen all at once. (laughs) It's something that you have to really help develop. Otherwise, you give your future away, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, It's when we're dealing with adversity and difficulty and temptation where our real sense of agency develops, then we, in a sense, claim our future. Otherwise, you become a product of what happens to you, and then yesterday holds tomorrow hostage, and you literally give your future away, and you empower the weaknesses of people or of situations outside yourself and disempower yourself. And then you go through that degenerizing process you just described from Bucky Fuller's quote. Well, you know, isn't that interesting about how many opportunities we have, as you would say in this book, for greatness or, you know, to choose a mediocre existence. And let's talk about that because you, the one thing I pull away from this book, which I, you know, quite frankly, I'm very grateful for getting this book right at this time in my life is the, is the idea of choice. Because I think sometimes each and every one of us can fall into the pit of uh, amnesia, as I would like to say, where we forget that we truly have that divine right to choose. How significant is that in really owning our greatness? I honestly believe that next to life itself, it's our greatest gift. Mm. I really do, because we're not like animals. They have no power of choice. We can choose our response to any given set of circumstances. And if we act on principles or natural laws when we make those choices, immediately our internal sense of freedom and power is expanded and deepened. But if we yield to the cultural pressure or to what 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 we're dealing with in terms of some obstacle, we literally give our power over to those forces. And that's exactly what happens to most people. And they they justify it by explaining it away in terms of circumstance or a bad boss or a difficult marriage or whatever it may be, and unaware that they literally are giving their own birth gift away. It's like selling your own birthright. The 
greatest thing we have is that power of choice. You know, you start the book, you know, start out in the book and you call the chapter number one the pain and then you listen, you, 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 you invite us to listen to the voices. And the voices sound a lot like uh, the voices, of course, that I think each and every one of us gets to visit within our heads from time to time. You know, I'm stuck in a rut. I have no life. I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. And, you know, isn't it in fact true, and I think you mentioned this, is, you know, there's the micro uh, that has to do with us, and then there's the macro that we take out into the business world in organizations. And isn't that essentially the same cry that we're, we're, we're hearing from organizations, that no same kind of it. thing? In fact, you'll find that in most organizations, most people don't even really know or care about what the most important goals are that the organization's working on. It's just amazing. Uh, in that book, there's a DVD, and it has one video for every chapter. And one of those videos is called Goal. It shows a bunch of little children playing playing uh, soccer in a complete state of, you know, not knowing what's going on. And then I relate in that video a lot of data from good scientific research to show that this is literally the way it is in most organizations and that most organizations don't have a clear sense of voice. In fact, I often ask audiences, point, close your eyes and point north, and they point all over the place. I even mm-hmm. ask these so-called experts that are sure they know which way north is, and they, they themselves disagree. And I say, you want to have the same exact experience just tomorrow when you go to work, ask any group, any team, any executive team, any board of governors or whatever, just say, what is your number one priority? And write down and you'll find it's just like pointing north, literally. And most organizations are like that. And that's why they have low trust cultures. That's why the people are disempowered. They find their satisfactions off the job, not on the job. So there's been no commissioning that has taken place. That is a commingling of your sense of voice and the voice of the organization. But once you have it, you move to a completely different age of away from the industrial age of control into the knowledge worker age of release where you can really tap into your greatest talents and your weaknesses are made irrelevant because you belong to a team of people that compensate for those weaknesses. And then you see an unleashing of tremendous strength and direction and power. This is why Toyota is eating Detroit's lunch. This is why you see community policing reducing crime 50 to 70% all Mm. over this world. When people have found their voice, when the community gets involved in the detection and the prevention of crime, it's just a good illustration of moving from the from the what I call the industrial age of control, where people are called an expanse, to a knowledge worker age of release. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and really make it clear for the people that are listening, and uh, some of them may have the book and some of them may not, what I wanted to ask you is to really, you know, let's talk about the the seven habits and how this book, The Eighth Habit, is not simply another habit. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the third dimension to the seven habits. I sometimes ask audiences to close one eye and then look at the world and then to open the other eye and you see a completely different dimension. So uh, 
The seven habits deal with general principles of effectiveness, such as the first three habits, be proactive. That means where you take responsibility for your own life and you take initiative, you get out of victimism. Habit two is begin with the end in mind where you have a clear picture of what your mission is, what your sense of purpose is. Habit three is where you live by those values and by that purpose. That's the integrity habit. Those three represent what I call the private victory. The public victory, which has to do with your relationships with others, flow upon that, and that is think win-win. That's like the golden rule, Mm. do unto others. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most Most people do the opposite. That's why their communication processes deteriorate. Um, Habit six is synergize. That's where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's a creative form of cooperation. It's not a compromise where one plus one equals one and a half, but where one plus one can equal a hundred. And then habit seven is the sharpening of the saw, sharpening of the saw. That means... You renew the four parts of your nature, your body, your mind, your heart, and your spirit on a consistent and regular basis. Those are general principles that are universal and timeless. And those become foundational to the eighth habit. The eighth habit is like that third dimension where you literally focus all of that kind of energy and that focus on finding your own voice, that which gives you unique significance and get you into a state of flow, and then how you can inspire others to find their voice. For instance, uh, Dr. Muhammad Yunus, just the other day I was with him. He's from Bangladesh, and yes. his story is early in that book. And But here is a person who found his voice by helping hundreds of thousands of women find their voice in Bangladesh, and he was a professor of economics. So that's not really what his life profession was, but he was walking out on the streets and running into these living skeletons and started to find out that these were women who were being exploited to the hilt by their masters and had no money, and all they needed is a little money, like twenty-five, fifty to $100, to get the equipment necessary to carry on their craft. And so eventually, after all the banks said no, 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 he set up his own bank and has now loaned $4.5 billion and has lifted literally hundreds of thousands of women out of poverty. So he's found, helped them find their voice, and that's how he found his voice. So they're very, very interrelated concepts. Well, you know, we all, you know, look at our own voices. And, you know, a lot of times I don't know that we are in tune that, A, we have a voice, and, B, that discovering our voice is in is in service of something greater than ourselves. And you talk about the four intelligences in in the book, and you talk about the the spiritual quotient, the spiritual intelligence aspect of this. Would you share your perspective on how important this is and how do you define this spiritual intelligence? I think it's I think it's central because these four intelligences. One the one we normally think about is IQ. That's our mind, uh-huh. and then our heart, which is now called EQ, emotional intelligence, which gives you 
the ability to become aware of what's happening inside your own life. And because animals can't do that. That's why you can reinvent yourself and you can also empathize with others within their own frame of reference. That's EQ. And then PQ has to do with that which runs your body, your physical intelligence, 70 trillion cells, and it's a magnificent piece of machine that no machine or computer can even compare to. But then at the center of it is what gives your life your purpose and what gives your integrity, your personal honor, so that you live true to your conscience. And your conscience is the most powerful expression of spiritual intelligence. It's a kind of a still voice inside yourself that's very small that gives you an internal sense of what is right and what is wrong. And the more you choose to act on that which is right so that your life is full of trustworthiness, full of integrity, you're honest in all your business dealings. You don't badmouth people behind their back. And things of this nature, the more people obey that, the stronger it becomes until it becomes the center focus of the other three intelligences. And it gives direction to the other intelligences. For instance, Gandhi never was elected, never was appointed, and yet he was the leader of modern India. Mm. Now today that's a billion people. Hitler was driven by his ego, not by conscience. So he, he established a regime that could not last. But Gandhi's, look what's happened to his now. So he developed moral authority, and that's more significant than formal authority by far. But the industrial age model is based on the idea that leadership is a position. That's how most people think of it. Who is the leader? Who's in the top positions? When in fact, leadership is a choice that anyone can make who will cultivate those four intelligences under the direction of the spiritual intelligence called conscience. And little by little, they will become a force of influence for good in helping other people find their voice. Look how Gandhi helped India become independent and to find its own voice, a whole country. And yet he was without any formal authority whatsoever. Well, that brings up my question and something that I'm really passionate about. My research uh, as well is in trust and uh, about trust and trust in organization and trustworthiness. And, uh, and yes, uh, you know, and, and, and this is, I'm very excited to see you address this in the book. Um, and as a matter of fact, you have made the, uh, you know, the, the idea of trust and the enactment of trust really critical in, in the, in, in the path to greatness. So I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about that and talk about what you are experiencing and, and observing in terms of the, the relationship of trust in organizations today. Well, I'm fascinated that your, your own research focuses in that area. Yes, I, uh, between psychological contracts and contract violations and trust. Yes, and that I've won a couple of awards for this. Because when you think about all of the all of the taxes that people pay or an organization pay, mm-hmm. they don't even begin to compare to the cost of low trust cultures. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> they don't. They don't compare at all. It affects every decision, every relationship. It affects any form of heartfelt commitment. You barely get people past the you know, almost malicious obedience. 
when you don't have high trust cultures. And you can't fake trust. It has to come from trustworthiness. And trustworthiness is both character and competence. It's not just your character. You have to also be good. You have to have talent. And if you have both of those, and if the organization also manifests its character and its competency through that kind of trustworthiness, it will create a, a real brand. A brand means you are trusted. That's the promise you make. And those people or organizations that keep their promises, gradually they're so trusted that people will, they'll, they'll do business with them. They'll, they'll have faith in their promises that they're making because they have kept their promises before. A beautiful illustration of uh, what happened with J&J once when they had the Tylenol scare. They immediately pulled their product from the shelves, which caused an immediate huge loss of revenue. But within six months, they had increased their market share because they lived true to their own mission statement of being absolutely trustworthy with their customers and with their own people. And the process of doing that has created such a brand that people can simply trust J&J. I was with the president of Toyota over in Japan, and he talked about how they build these relationships of trust with their suppliers like they were their own family, like they're their own internal people. No more hard sell, you know, bargaining and win-lose thinking and cutting corners where people get manipulative and duplicitous with each other. See, that is what the high cost is. Uh-huh. It, it is the high cost. And, you know, our, our, the book that you have written, and for those of you just tuning in, let me say I'm here with Dr. Stephen Covey. We're talking about this fabulous new book, The Eighth Habit, From Effectiveness to Greatness. And really, greatness, in a sense, is something we're all destined for. Uh, what I want to say is and ask you about is it, it appears in many organizations and in a general sense that I get that we have violated a serious trust in what some people call the repeal of the psychological contract of working hard and in return the organization provides you with life after work, the sort of the, the idea of retirement. How has this shown up in the work that you're doing in the book? How has this been obvious or not obvious in today's uh, business environment? Well, it's been very obvious when you consider the industrial age psychological contract. But as we've moved into a knowledge worker age where 70% of the goods and services comes from knowledge work, not manual work, 30, 20 years ago, it was only 30%. That is a profound shift, and that's one of the reasons why that psychological contract was broken, because of the tremendous power of globalization. There needs to be a kind of a new contract made that helps people become employable, mm-hmm. not just employed, so that they are internally capable of adapting to these new realities. And uh, the one reason, the one reason that we see so much problem with this is because it's so dislocating of people, and people have become so, in a sense, dependent or counterdependent upon 
these promises made by their organizations, which they're unable to keep because they can't maintain their competitive nature up against world-class competition. And that's why the psychological contract must grow and shift with the movement into this knowledge economy. Otherwise, these organizations will be history, and that's what's happening all over the world. We're having competition today from small kobolds and teams in India and China that can outproduce um, our own organizations often in terms of quality and lower cost and, and speed. And that's the reality of history, and that's going to happen more and more. That's why the psychological contract must be shifted to adapt to this new reality. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, you know, let me ask you this, because uh, the, the conversation on trust moves me to the next part of the book and what you talk about, which is so vital to so many organizations today, and that is this idea of not only finding your own voice, but now raise yourself up to inspire others to find theirs. Boy, this is such... Uh, just an amazing uh, invitation for each and every one of us to really raise the bar, up-level our lives, up-level our organizations. Now, what is you know the what is the the core essential challenge for us in making that happen? I think the the core challenge is to learn how to affirm other people's worth and potential. So clearly they come to see it in themselves. Here's another little exercise that I do when I speak. I ask an audience, how many of you uh, have achieved your level of success, whatever it may be, partly or even largely because someone believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself? And you'll find that from about 50 to 75% of the people will raise their hands. And if you were to listen to them talk about this parent or grandparent or this neighbor or scout leader or teacher or friend or boss and what they did to affirm them and their worth and potential and to, and to create an opportunity for them to find their own voice and to have the kind of support and resource behind to optimize their contribution. It is an emotional experience, literally. They often come to tears, and many of the audience do as well, as they start to realize what these people have done. And that's what I mean. It's the, it's what, and it's the key thing to parents, too, particularly, so that they're constantly affirming to their children their worth and potential and not judging them by their weaknesses so that the children grow up with this intrinsic sense of, of their capabilities and that they're, they're real deep genius. When man found the mirror, he began to lose his soul. That's the problem, mm. is that the mirror, the social mirror of people's opinions often just absolutely kind of straightjacket the unleashing of these unique, great capabilities that we have within us. Well, you know, there's something that you talk about in the book that I've talked about on uh, several of my shows, and that is the power of forgiveness. How does that aspect of, uh, of shift for people, the ability to forgive, how does that set them free? Well, when you think about it, 
the greater damage is done by the one who will not forgive than the one who offended or trespassed in the first instance because you have made a choice to let something in your past continue to affect you in the present and in the future so that you, you really are damning yourself when you do not forgive freely and openly and as immediately as you possibly can. The other person also is enormously benefited when they sense that their mistake is not going to hold their whole future hostage in your relationship with them. So it benefits everybody. It's like Gandhi said that uh, unforgivingness is like a poison that does more damage the vessel in which it is held than the and to the person on whom it's poured. It's really essential, isn't it? And, I, you know, it's really, uh, I, I got to a couple of the chapters in the book, and again, you know, thank you so much for joining me today because, you know, I am so enjoying the book, and the book is The Eighth Habit. Uh, you can find out more about this on uh, Dr. Covey's website, which is very simply www.stephencovey.com. And, you know, the thing that, the section of the book that I got to that I really smiled about was the conversation that you know you have with us in the book about negative attitudes and you know in my my language and in the work that I do with organizations I call this crust C-R-U-S-T. You also say there's nothing more cancerous to an organization than negative attitudes. I would imagine you also say that there's nothing more cancerous to our own greatness than a negative attitude, but don't let me put words in your mouth. No, that, that is true, though, because what I call a negative attitudes are the five C's. Yes. Where you have a tendency to, to criticize people or to be a complainer or to uh, compare yourself constantly, to compete for a sense of worth with other people, or to contend, to get a spirit of anger inside you. And what those cancers do is... They metastasize. It's like they're sending their cancer cells through the lymph system of your body. And they affect your mind, your thinking, your future. Everything is impacted by it. The same thing can happen in a culture, in an organization, if it's a low-trust culture. But people get into a blaming, victimism attitude. For instance, you take a Dell computer. It took them five years to get out of a, out of a culture of blame which was a cancer, into a culture of responsibility. And it's been fascinating to talk with the president of their organization to see how they did that, the process they had to go through, until eventually everybody who has a problem or who wants to complain about something literally owns that problem to some degree. And they begin a process of bringing about changes in solving that particular problem. And they have taken, and that now they have an amazing organization with a business model that can hardly be duplicated anywhere, with everyone focused on making that business model work. And it's just really um, one of the reasons why they are such a leading organization. Well, you know, let me ask you this. I mean, I know for me, having worked in an organization and now working with an organization as consultant, I really am passionate about helping people shift their beliefs, their attitudes, moving from, you know, where they where they are stuck in this stuff 
And yet at the same time, I, I, I watch organizations really resist, you know, having this kind of work being done within the organization to help them really shift the attitudes. Now, what I want to ask you about that is it isn't just you and I sitting and having a conversation that has to do with bad attitudes. We create that vibration and, as you say, metastasize not just every cell in our body but every cell around us. Isn't that one of the most serious challenges we have? It is, uh, but it's also one of the most serious opportunities. Yes. Everyone can become a trim tabber. A trim tabber is like the small rudder that turns the big rudder on a ship. And people from even at the lower ends of an organization without any formal authority at all, if they could get this concept that we're talking about here and realize I can become a trim tabber. I can become a change catalyst in a small circle of influence until it gradually gets larger and larger. And I wrote a book one time dealing with 90 stories, and about 70 of them were people without any formal authority whatsoever who changed their whole cultures. And think of the excitement and the sense of greatness that a person can have inside if they can trim tab a whole organization or in their family, stop the transmission of bad tendencies and habits from going from one generation to the next, so that even though you were abused, you don't abuse your own. Even though that you were raised in duplicity and manipulation, you can live a straightforward, totally honest life and be an example to your own children. So you stop it. Now, to me, that's one of the most noble, imaginable uh, goals a person could possibly have in their life is to be a tr- what I call a trim tabber or a transition figure who stops bad traditions going from generation to generation, whether it's at work or at home. And, you know, the thing I love about the trim tab idea and, uh, the, you know, I think I, that was uh, Bucky Fuller, I think is, uh, you know, I, I affiliate with that and also in the work that you do, it is that we don't need to really put forth huge, uh, uh, just overwhelming effort. The idea of the trim tab, isn't it, Dr. Covey, that, you know, a small shift can create an amazing change. Exactly right. In fact, you know that he had on his on his tombstone just a trim tab. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. And you, and so then you know, let me ask you this: in 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 the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that will hear this interview, how can we engage and invite them to really uh, initiate, to energize, as you would say, create synergy? With the trim tabs in our lives. I would say start where you are and um, make what I call deposits into the emotional bank account with those immediately around you. That is, you be a person of, of absolute honesty and integrity and you take more initiative and maybe not even inside your own job but inside your own small circle of influence bring forth a recommendation or help another person uh, find their voice. And in doing so, you'll find your circle of influence gets larger. It still may be very small, but be patient. Keep paying that price. Little by little, your circle of influence can become huge. 
Uh, you know, in the closing minutes, and, and I know you, you've got to go, and I appreciate your time here. In fact, this is the other call. It's just coming in. Oh, let me just uh, thank you so much so for joining. Sorry. Thank you so much for Maybe joining the show. Talk to more, Pat. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great one, and thank you for the book. Mystery School 2006 Preview Weekend, The Mystery of Making a Difference, November 11th through the 13th in Palm Springs, California. Making a difference has never been more critical in a world in which so much can go right or disastrously wrong. We are the ones who have the most profound task in human history, the task of deciding whether we grow or die. We have an opportunity to play a role in the greatest transition drama the world has ever seen. In order to do this, we must be able to Access depths of body, mind, and spirit that we may have forgotten we had. In the special preview mystery school, we will help you discover that you are much richer, deeper, and stronger than you know. We will explore ways to help restore the lost but much needed part of ourselves and allow for expansion and growth. Learn to become part of a deep ecology of life and vibrant awakening. For more information, log on to our website, genehouston.org, or contact Bridget at 541-488-1200 or Bridget the Brit at AOL.com. Hi, this is Rhonda Britton. You're listening to Crust Busting with Pat. She really is fantastic. She helps hundreds and thousands of people change their lives just like I do. The world's first healthy coffee has arrived. A rich blend of nutrition and pleasant aroma come together with a gourmet taste. Get energized, remove toxins, and build up your immune system with the miraculous king of herbs, Ganoderma lucinum. Organically grown without any pesticides, chemicals, or preservatives. Here's what people are saying. I all of a sudden noticed that my belt buckle was definitely looser, and then, uh, bam, it just all of a sudden happened, and uh, I dropped about 15 pounds in about eight weeks. My body is functioning better, I'm more energetic, I'm able to do things physically that I haven't been able to do before. It's just wonderful. Don't take our word for it. Check out the internet to discover thousands of positive page references to the health benefits of Ganoderma lucidum, also known as reishi mushroom. Call now to receive your free sample. 877-514-2233 or visit godgano.org the world's first healthy coffee health and wellness in every cup Dr. Pat Basili Introducing a powerful, trend-setting beverage, the world's first healthy coffee. This coffee is healthy because it delivers Ganoderma Lucidum, the king of herbs. Gano Coffee. Pre-measured, pre-packaged to deliver a perfect cup of coffee every time. You just add water, stir, and enjoy. It's fast and convenient. Your friends and family will love it, too. Available as black, mocha, or whipped cream and sugar. Our coffee sells for a mere 45 cents to 90 cents per packet. Who's responsible for your future health and wealth? Try Ganoderma Lucidum. People will spend their health to get their wealth. Then they will have to spend their wealth to regain their health. Don't let this happen to you. Go to GotGano.org. That's GotGano.org. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Crossbusting Your Way to an Awesome Life with Dr. Pat. If you would like to participate in today's program, call in at 1-888-335-5204. 
Now let's join Dr. Pat for some serious crust-busting. Welcome all, and thank you again for joining in today. What a fabulous show. I am so thrilled to have had the opportunity to speak with Stephen Covey, and you know who has been someone that I met years and years and years ago. And for those of you that don't know much about Dr. Covey, let me tell you that he was recognized as one of Times Magazine's, Time Magazine's 25 most influential Americans uh, and one of sales and marketing management's top 25 power brokers. He is the author of several acclaimed books, including international bestseller, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It has sold more than 15 million copies in 38 languages throughout the world. Other bestsellers authored by Dr. Covey include First Things First, Principle-Centered Leadership, uh, with sales exceeding one million and the seven habits of highly effective families. To find out more about this book, the latest book, The Eighth Habit, you could visit www.stephencovey.com. What I love about this book is it, it really is a journey into the way that each and every one of us can tap into the greatness that already exists within us. And in that way, it is an invitation for each and every one of us to step into our greatness. And it's not just a book on this is the way it is. It's a book that gives you questions and answers so that you can actually challenge yourself to stepping up into the world of greatness and what that means and and really honor the idea that this is not just for Dr. Covey. That each and every one of us has us inside, has this inside of us. Now, the thing that we didn't get to talk about in the interview, which I'll talk about now in wrapping up, is what Dr. Covey calls the sweet spot, and what he refers that, what he talks about uh, in in that is having an unbelievable ability to understand what it is to both take and to give in this world and how we can integrate uh, our creative excitement, our spirit, uh, you know, who we are, our wisdom, and bring that to the surface. And the way that that happens is through focus and execution. Uh, focus is a word that we hear a lot these days. I've interviewed Robert Allen as well, and, uh, you know, uh, he has a book, The Power of Focus. So the question that I would ask each and every one of you listening to this show today, what is, you know, the most important goal you have in your life? What is that? Where does it fit in your radar of things that you want to pay attention to? What is it about that goal that inspires you, that uplifts you, that is that is going to take you to the level of greatness that you are meant to be at in this lifetime? And so what is that goal? How are you aligning with it? And what are you doing to execute this? What are you doing so that your clarity, your commitment, how you translate that goal to the, to the, to the world enables you and other people to create the energy, the synergy that will, you know, absolutely take you to the most positive and profound execution of your life. That is the execution of your greatness. And so in, 
in this closing part of the show, I would like to ask each and every one of you to think about the things that you long to do in this life, the things that are haunting you to step forth and embrace your greatness, to step forth and be accountable for your attitude, for your behavior, and to know that this place that Dr. Covey calls the sweet spot, the eighth habit, is the integration of your personal greatness the integration of your leadership greatness and the integration of your organizational greatness given that you are working and being in organizations and how that looks in the world. This will enable each and every one of us to then step forth and be in that place of absolute bliss, of being in that place where it's not just important to achieve the things that we want to achieve. It is wildly important. And so, you know, as I spoke with Dr. Covey today, I felt in myself an an actual recommitment to the goals that I have. And the book, by the way, is The Eighth Habit, From Effectiveness to Greatness. And again, my interview today was with Dr. Stephen Covey. And so for... For this show and in for, and for the week to come, I would invite each and every one of you to get real with yourself. Get clear, get real, and create the deal of a lifetime, your greatness. So that's it. That's what you, that's what you're challenged to do here today by me, Dr. Pat Basile. If you want to find out more about the work that I'm doing and how you can be right on the forefront of some of the things that we're preparing, go to www.crustbusting.com and knock the crust off your life, knock the crust off your soul, knock the crust off your attitude, and take yourself out into the world in a great, great way because you are so worthy and deserving of greatness. And so that's the way I'd like to end the show today. You say to yourself, I am the greatness of this life. I am love and I am inspiration. And until next week, make yourself a fabulous, fabulous week. Stay tuned for us next week right here on Voice America. Thank you for joining us today for Crust Busting with Dr. Pat Basile. Crust Busting with Dr. Pat can be heard live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com. For a copy of today's program or to learn more about Crust Busting, visit www.crustbusting.com. 